0: This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Florida has long been seen as a purple state, a place that can tip a presidential election for Democrats or Republicans. And as our population has grown, so has Florida's political influence. Governor Ron DeSantis's emphatic re-election in 2022 appeared to seal Florida's identity as a red state. And a wave of polarizing policy choices have made this state something of a testing ground for an uncompromising brand of conservatism. But with a diverse and growing population, our state's politics are more nuanced than election results might suggest. For the past few weeks, we've been exploring what Florida's rapid growth means for the Tampa Bay region. This final instalment of the series we call Our Changing State wouldn't be complete without talking politics. And we're putting your questions and concerns about politics to our expert guests. A lot of those concerns reflect anxieties over vicious partisanship and the priorities of elected leaders focused on culture war battles instead of kitchen table issues like the cost of housing. But before we get to that conversation, we pay a visit to someone who's been steeped in the politics of Tampa Bay and Florida for decades. Pasco is among the top 10 fastest growing counties in Florida over the last decade, and driving through the county, growth and development are everywhere. But in Lando Lakes, not far from the big box stores and highways, a dirt road sheltered by tall pine trees leads to a slice of old Florida. Here, a white two-storey farmhouse sits behind a huge oak tree. Hey there. Dr. McManus, how are you? I'm doing fine, come on in. Thanks. A few years ago, University of South Florida professor emerita Susan McManus retired after 47 years teaching political science. But the 76-year-old is still a familiar name, face and voice as a political analyst. This farmhouse and the property that sits on a small lake has been in McManus's family for 100 years. Today, it's a haven for animals like owls, bobcats, armadillos and gopher tortoises.
1: Oh yeah, there are three or four of them around here. Yeah. We have different names for them. The big one's Gramps, <laughs> and then there's George, and then there's Tiny, you know, those are the three main ones. They live along that fence line, that's their favorite.
0: As we walk around the property, four deer wander past. Dotted around the garden leading down to the lake are animal sculptures McManus's mother designed from old farm machinery parts.
1: My sister and I are really the only ones of the cousins that still love to swim in the lake, but we do. When she gets home in a couple weeks, we'll get out here and clean out these lily pads. We try to keep this area free for the boat and also just to swim.
0: Have you ever had any close calls with an alligator?
1: No, no not, other than the Florida Gators. I'm a Florida State Seminole, so that's the only encounter we have with the Gators (laughs) in football.
0: This is really just an amazing spot. I wonder though, do you worry about the encroaching development? Do you wonder sometimes how long this place might stay the way it is?
1: Of course we do. Uh, Fortunately, across the lake is one of my relatives and uh, also the uh, local park abuts against the pond, they're not likely to sell out anytime soon, so we're pretty protected, but there are pieces of the lake that still are slivers that are owned by others and you just never know. My whole career, when I'd have sort of an exasperating and exhausting day, I'd just come home, put on my shorts and t-shirt, take my shoes off and walk down here and just just breathe in the lake and the surroundings. It was very peaceful and still is.
0: This is kind of your antidote to the wildness of Florida politics.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. We walk back to the farmhouse to talk about these changes she's seen in Florida's physical and political landscape. Tell me about how you got into politics. What drew you to this life? My family
1: was always current events focused. Our discussions were always about what's going on and talking about why, and it was never a vicious discussion. When I went to Florida State as a freshman, I was planning on majoring in, of all things, physical education, because I grew up with sports, and I loved it. But once I got there, I had terrific teachers, and the proximity to the Capitol, I would just find myself just walking down to the Capitol and walking around, never realizing what I would do, but I changed my major at the end of my freshman year to poli-sci.
0: As you were kind of talking about your family, as we toured the house, you were saying your parents were from different political parties and there there was a lot of political diversity in your family overall.
1: Right, a lot of diversity. The broader extended family includes everything from Baptist preachers to railroad union leaders and everything in between, mostly farmers in between. Yeah, we saw a lot of differences. I just grew up with it, and I think it made me a much better professor because at USF, at the beginning of every semester, I would ask my students what they were to give me a little bit of an idea, and I also explained to them before I asked took the survey, I said, look, my parents are one of each, and I wouldn't have a job if it weren't for politics being different. And then I would ask them which way they leaned, you know, Democrat or Republican or what. And invariably, in my Florida politics class, it would almost be divided. And I never wanted to alienate by becoming ideological and forcing my views on others. I'm very adamantly opposed to that because it's one of the problems we have right now is people don't learn to listen to somebody else's viewpoint.
0: When you look at what's happening in Tampa Bay area and some counties in particular, say Sarasota County, what strikes you as the most interesting or noteworthy things about how the landscape has changed politically in the last few years?
1: Well, this area is still the most diverse. And so one of the things that's happened is the age makeup of the areas and some of the counties have changed. And a lot of that is driven by changing technology and a diversifying economy, which we've certainly seen in this area. But COVID is a prime example of how younger people migrated to this area. There were jobs. It was open. So politics have changed tremendously. When I was young, Pinellas was the first county to go Republican, and now it's a very competitive county. Sarasota, also Republican. More heavily Republican now than it used to be. Tampa, you know, a little bit more Democrat than Republican. It used to be the bellwether, but it's not anymore. The significance is that the in-migration changes everything, whether it's in-migration that reflects age differences, racial or ethnic differences, or even party affiliation differences. My lesson in teaching Florida politics for years was you cannot, in a state that sees so much infilling and even movement within the counties, between elections, you can't take data from two years prior and really feel confident in a lot of counties in Florida because things change that quickly. The biggest mistake some people make in Florida as candidates and as parties is not doing enough demographic work, and it has to be done constantly because we have such, you know, churning of our population within the state and then new people moving in and some people moving out.
0: And that was Professor Emerita of Political Science Susan McManus who talked with us at her home in Lander Lakes. See photos from our visit from WUSF's Dalena Miller on our website, WUSFnews.org. You're listening to Florida Matters. Coming up, we'll continue the conversation about our changing state as we put your questions about politics to our expert panel. Welcome back to Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. We're continuing our exploration of how Florida's growing population and other rapid changes are affecting you, our neighbours across the Tampa Bay region. And on this episode of Our Changing State, we're putting your questions about politics to our expert guests. Well, joining me is Tara Newsom, Professor of Social and Behavioural Sciences and Founding Director of the Centre for Civic Learning and Community Engagement at St. Petersburg College.
2: Great being here. Thanks for having me.
0: We're also joined by Eduardo Gamada, professor in the Department of Politics and International Relations and director of the Latino Public Opinion Forum at Florida International University's Green School of Public and International Affairs. So our listeners, our audience raised concerns about gerrymandering, voting rights, education, the lack of compromise in politics today. Here's a comment from Haley Bush of St. Petersburg, who says, gerrymandering has tipped the scales and allowed extreme politics to take deeper hold in Tallahassee. Moderates on either side are not rewarded on our state and national political stage. I think the average Floridian and average American wants to see a return to a sense of civility in politics. However, not everyone was unhappy with the direction the state is headed in politically. Here's Pamela Spofford and Stewart, who wrote, Very happy with what the governor is doing, nervous that there will be repercussions due to his tough starts. Before we do get to more comments and questions from our listeners, though, I want to ask both of you what you see as the biggest and perhaps most consequential political changes in Florida. Tara, what comes to mind for you?
2: I think the focus on culture wars that Rick Scott really started when he started to dismantle programs in the state of Florida and really turn us from a moderate state to a more conservative state through pushing back against uh, federal funds for Medicare to pursuing state legislation to give drug tests to those seeking temporary assistance those were all the beginning of the culture wars that we're living out right now with Governor DeSantis and they're a far cry from the kitchen table issues that most Floridians are really worried about. And so I think that's the most concerning piece because we have real things that we need to work on climate change, affordable housing, access to health care, bodily sovereignty. And I think most people really want us to to pivot back to those issues.
0: eduardo, what do you, what do you think?
2: Yeah,
3: I agree with Professor Newsom, but I, I would just add a, I think a, a very important kind of structural caveat. Uh, all of those things that, uh, that the professor is mentioning uh, are largely possible by uh, two things. One, the fact that uh, Republicans have been in control of the state now for the better part of two decades. And secondly, that this was largely cemented uh, with this absolute control of all institutions in Florida – uh, the legislature, the, the executive branch, but also the, the judiciary, which in some measure, I mean, this may be a far-fetched comparison, but we have a one-party state now, and a one-party state with a governor who essentially runs the state, not much different than, uh, you know, we might see in, uh, in other parts of the world with a, a uh, strong ruler with uh, absolute control through a single party. So that has enabled this governor to be able to essentially do whatever he wants to do and with popular support.
0: Let me turn to some audience questions and comments. And the politics around education was a recurring theme among our audience. Asked about political concerns, Jackie Brethen of Wesley Chapel said she had, quote, none. I am on board on board with the decisions to keep our kids safe and keep perversions out of the classroom. On the other hand, Joanne Glazowski from Venice wrote, Our education system is embarrassing. Teacher pay is among the lowest in the country. Education regulated by our governor. Children taught what to think, not how to think, turn into parents who can't think, hence our political landscape. Eduardo, what do you make of the politicization of education in Florida?
3: Right now, at least in, in terms of, you know, the impact it's having locally on, on on public education, I think it's it's very it's very significant. But uh, from where I sit, and where I think Professor Newsom sits at the at the. Uh, even at the university and college levels, um, this is having a dramatic impact. It's having an impact on on how we uh, teach our students, how we can engage our students. Uh, It uh, it essentially tells us that our PhDs, the way we've been designing our courses, is not enough anymore. Now we have to listen to uh, elected politicians telling us how to teach our courses, when to teach them, and, uh, and how to engage our students. So, so it's, it's had, I, I think, a very tempering impact. Some of our, our faculty, my colleagues, are, are you know, afraid of the environment that we live in. Some of our, our colleagues, are, are, they want to take on the, the establishment. And, uh, and still others have just become completely apathetic. So I think across the board, this environment has had a dramatic effect on, on Florida education overall, and not for the better.
0: Eduardo, education and parental rights are key issues for Florida voters of whatever party. I wonder how you see them motivating different voters, though.
3: I work primarily on Latino voters, right? and i've I've been surveying Latino voters. And of course, you know the the idea that Latinos are are conservatives and therefore would be much more uh, uh, how should I say, susceptible to the messaging that's coming out of Tallahassee? Uh, that's only partially true. Right. So, for example, on the whole issue with with uh, with the transgender rights, we found that Latinos are in large measure OK with uh, with uh, at least the message about, you know, when is it OK to teach our children about uh, about transgender rights and so on, but not so on abortion. On abortion, it's a it's an entirely different ball game. Most Latinos are very deeply affected by the decisions now not only by by what's going on in the state with our legislation but what what went on with roe v. Wade. so our electorates are diverse and they think diversely they're not monolithic in terms of how they how they see how they look at these specific issues so uh, I would say that it's it's much more complex than than either political party has been looking at these at these issues.
0: I want to read a quote. From Julia Casimir from Sarasota, who writes, I used to be a DeSantis fan, but as a teacher who now more than ever is targeted by the media and the politicians, which leads the masses to believe that I am a terrible person, I am disappointed. No words can describe the fascist healthcare bill SB 1580 or 1718. And just as a reminder, Senate Bill 1580 allows healthcare providers to deny care based on moral, ethical, or religious beliefs while Senate Bill 1718 is a sweeping immigration law that, among other things, cracks down on businesses which hire undocumented immigrants. Tara, a couple of things to unpack here. First of all, what's your sense of how teachers are perceived in Florida and the media's role in that? And I also wonder if you could talk a little bit about the political climate that has led to the passage of laws like SB 1580, which is kind of on the intersection of health care and religious freedom.
2: Well, I think Julia is experiencing what many um, academics, academicians are really experiencing that, you know, the idea that there's a moderation in our legislature and our policy would lead to the support of educators and and this authoritarian spin on how to direct how we teach what we teach is is creating a pushback from not only um, teachers, professors, but I think the public I certainly think that we've forgotten in Florida and possibly on the national level the idea from the framers called the American gospel that in public spaces that we have to have tolerance and support for different ideas and you know a great example of this actually living out and it's 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 hard for me to actually Reference a deep red state like Utah, but the governor, Governor Cox, there, when challenged about the anti-LGBTQ laws in his state, said he wasn't going to support them because he was more interested in supporting the vulnerable populations of our state, our children that might be facing mental health crisis, and and to let them live rather than to use education and public policy to suppress or oppress those that are vulnerable in our communities. And so I think you know educators and and voters Voters are all seeing these culture wars play out and they see them for what they are, authoritarian extensions of a government that doesn't have a check. And we talked about earlier in the program regarding a Republicanly held governor, Republicanly held legislature, Republicanly controlled judiciary. There is no checks and balances. And so we, the voters, need to be the ones that check and bring truth to power. And that's what I think the voters are starting to express with these comments.
0: Eduardo, what about Florida's immigration bill? I wonder if you see the response to that from Floridians as really clearly defined by what party people do belong to. I mean, how important is that issue for say Hispanic residents and voters, other blocks, other voting blocks?
3: You have to look at this in the in the following in the following way, uh, at least in terms of what what the research that we've been doing tells us right and and let me sort of uh, begin by by uh, noting something that has happened uh, just recently here with uh, a, a Marxist group of students here at FIU decided to have a conference, right? Uh, a session where they were going to talk about these strange ideas. This has made it now onto TikTok and on, onto whatever other social platform. So now there's a demonstration outside of FIU by the community, right? Against uh, what is ostensibly a student group. This kind of, um, I think, uh, illustrates where we are, where we have the, the idea of the, a university being a place where ideas can be discussed to what the majority out there in the community wants to, 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 to impose on us and what uh, a governor and his political agenda want to impose. This is, I think, where, where we are. But looking at that specifically in terms of what the re- research tells us, most of the respondents tell us that they want a society of tolerance they want a society of ideas they want a society of di- of, di- of divergence so until to a certain extent we can move beyond this moment of authoritarianism i think it's going to be a while i mean this isn't going to happen in this electoral cycle certainly But we're a ways from going back to, hopefully we will, going back to those moments in which we could talk about different points of view without trying to clamp down on on those with whom we disagree.
0: There are some other pressing issues, and culture war issues are top of mind for our audience. Let's read a comment from Kay Anderson in Orlando, who says, I support Ron DeSantis, especially his views on gender ideology and all of that. However, they go on to say many conservatives would not support issues Kay Anderson would want to address again, such as improving mass transit and reducing the importance of tourism in our economy. Another example, talking about the environment, Anderson wrote, human development isn't inherently bad. However, there is way too much car-dependent suburban sprawl happening here, especially among Florida's turnpike near the villages. We need to stop destroying farmland for the worst type of human settlement design possible. Eduardo, I wonder what that tells you about some of the key concerns of voters, no matter what party, and where are some of the areas where political leaders could find consensus?
3: The focus on wokeness has sort of uh, obscured the real issues affecting Florida, and even among Republicans, right? When you, when you separate the wokeness kinds of questions in the surveys that we do, most Floridians agree, Right. We have a serious insurance crisis. We have a serious environmental crisis. I mean, even today, I mean, you know, the the, the Marco Rubios of the world who used to say that, you know, climate change is all the time, right? Even Marco Rubio now believes in climate change, right? And so even conservatives are talking about some of the real issues that are affecting Florida, the problems of, of flooding, for example, that are now, that are now a real crisis in, 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 in the city of Miami and in, in Fort Lauderdale. The, the whole issue with traffic, for example, you know, on some of the local polls that we do here, number one issue is traffic. traffic is related to what? The lack of infrastructure and the lack of, you know, uh, primarily public transportation. There is no reliable public transportation here. For people that come from overseas, right, that's their number one surprise when they can't find public transportation Uh, and they have to rely on cars. For our students, it's a huge problem, foreign students in particular, because there is no transport anywhere. And then the, the rent, the cost of rent, you know, in, in most urban centers in, in Florida, rent is a huge issue. So this overwhelming focus on, on wokeness has essentially rendered, I think, this administration uh, absolutely useless on addressing the key issues that affect Floridians. I want to
0: turn to a voter registration and As Florida has grown, so has Republican voter registration. In October 2021, in fact, Republicans surpassed Democrats for the first time in Florida. But there's a pretty large swath of voters, 28% of the voting populace of Florida. More than 4 million people are no party affiliation or NPA. And that group is growing too. M Vaughan in Monroe County writes... Korea politicians do not accurately represent the general population The current climate of lies and contention in both parties are abhorrent And here's a comment from Mike in Clearwater who says No party affiliation, that speaks volumes So I want to ask both of you what you take away from the growing number of NPA voters in Florida Tara, what do you think?
2: Well, let me first address the growing number of Republicans, because I think many of those Republicans used to be um, what we used to call blue dog Democrats, conservative Democrats that, um, especially in the panhandle, that um, moved towards the R designation. And so I think that that might be a little murky when you're really evaluating that. But certainly, dealignment in politics has been going on for a number of decades, we've moved towards this candidate centered politics and moving away from the party affiliation. And the more we move away from the party affiliation, the less individuals that are contributing to political thought in those parties. So you see more radicalization or fundamentalism hit the Democratic Party and the Republican Party um, because there's less of us contributing to the development of the platform or development of the policies. And so those that are left within those, those pots of um, people you know, really can kind of control uh, candidate selection. And- And policies that come out of it. So I think that that no party affiliate piece is really a reflection of individuals not wanting to contribute to the traditional two-party system and finding themselves in this kind of ocean of who am I? But don't mistake that NPA is not having some type of political socialization or ideology. And we certainly see that when we evaluate um, voting outcomes, right? By, after the after November, we look and see, especially in Florida in a closed primary state, how did these NPAs actually vote? And you see ideological trends in there. So they might be um, wanting broad, moderate policy agenda during the election cycle. But once they get into that polling booth, they, they definitely lean in. And that's why we watch those numbers so quickly.
0: Just to wrap this conversation up here, I want to ask both of you where you see the state heading politically from here, and is there perhaps a less polarized, maybe less partisan political future for Florida? Eduardo, what do you think?
3: I think a lot of it is going to to depend on uh, uh, what happens in the next uh, 12 months, uh, politically at the national level. I think... uh, we're in such a convoluted period with uh, such a such a deep divide, and uh, and I think it's going to really depend on where the na- national politics goes. Uh, my sense is that uh, Florida will will largely remain uh, red for the considerable future, but I think there's going to be some interesting uh, uh, some interesting turns, particularly in urban centers. I think Democrats are are going to. Regain ground in in the urban areas of Florida.
0: Tara, what about you? What do you think?
2: well, I, I certainly hope that we turn towards a moderate. Um, expression in our representation in Florida because I think that's really what Floridians want. I think it's a mistake to look back at the last gubernatorial election and think it was a mandate for Republicans or even a mandate for Governor DeSantis. It was an unprecedented um, investment in him and the Republican Party and a very weak investment and resource in Charlie Crist. And so if we can, you know, implement fair, um, the fair districts laws and really have our, our representation kind of erode gerrymandering, we might start to see Democrats not only do what Professor Gamara said is be visible in our um, urban centers, but start to be more visible on the state House and state Senate side, or a really healthy litigation in the federal courts that strikes down Governor DeSantis's redistricting. So I think that the future of Florida really is a lot more moderate than we think, but we, our institutions may not reflect that moderation until the next census.
0: I want to thank you both for joining me, Tara Newsom, Professor of Social and Behavioral Sciences and Founding Director of the Center for Civic Learning and Community Engagement at St. Petersburg College. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And Eduardo Gamara, Professor in the Department of Politics and International Relations and Director of the Latino Public Opinion Forum at Florida International University's Green School of Public and International Affairs. Professor Gamara, thank you.
3: Thank you very much. A privilege to be with you.
0: And that's Florida Matters for this week. If you missed any part of the Our Changing States series, visit our website, wusfnews.org. And coming this Thursday, we're dropping the entire series as a podcast. You can find this Florida Matters special wherever you get your podcasts. The producer for this episode is Denora Prevost. We also received support from engineer Jackson Harp, digital editor Carl Lishandrello, visual journalist Alina Miller, and news director Mary Shedden. Thanks also to WUSF brand manager Chandler Falcom. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.